morning and welcome to the Jarek show on this wonderful Friday. Now, this is going to be a different day because our good friend Javad, he's currently out and about just minding his own business or so he says, I don't know. Uh, what do you think? Having a good time. Life is tough. Life is tough. What can I say? Life is tough. Yeah, so that's what he's doing instead of being here. But instead, we have James McQuiggan with us again. And I think we got some interesting uh, discussions today. So we will get to that in a moment, right after the intro. Welcome to The Jarek Show, featuring your hosts, Javad Malik and Eric Crone. Timely topics, poorly presented. So, James, how you been, man? How you doing? Doing good. You know, hey, it's another day in paradise. Here yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's hot. Um, I don't know. You're, you're way over in the Orlando area. I'm over here in Tampa, but we're hitting like 112 degree with, uh, you know, whatever feels like temperatures here and heat advisories and all kinds of stuff. And I know it's not just here either. It's up north. But, man, this is kind of miserable, honestly. Well, it's 84 degrees outside here in Orlando right now, and probably with humidity, it probably feels like 100, but here in the comfort of my own little studio, I haven't been out in a couple of days, so I think the last time I went out was Tuesday night to do a presentation, so yeah. That, that's pretty wise, actually. I think that's uh, some good ideas, some good thoughts here, especially when it's as hot. Now, I don't know about you, you, you saw the video clip, right? Did, did it look like Javad was uh, like overly hot over there, wherever he's at? He wouldn't be hot if he put his head in the oven. No, um, you know, it's a tough life, but, you know, someone's got to do it. So we'll, we'll let Javad carry the mantle this week and, and then he'll be back next week and we'll make him work. Now, I can't totally blame him because because there was this clip of me. I just really don't care. <laughs> yeah, that was in the Bahamas last year. So, you know, who can complain about these things? Right? You're going to you're going to reshoot it when you go back later on this year. You know, we're not going to the Bahamas. I'm actually going to be doing a cruise here pretty soon. We are going to go to Mexico and to Roatan. Mm. Um, for those of you that don't know, I've had Achilles surgery um, not too long ago, so I'm on a knee scooter, which means my excursions off the boat are going to be extremely limited. Um, something about running around the back trails of Roatan, chasing monkeys and sloths and stuff like that on a knee scooter ain't going to happen. But the fam's going to go. I'm going to chill by the pool. I'm going to pull a Javad. Yeah, and just be chilling like that, right? Chill by the pool, man. It's way Looking to do forward it. to it. All right, so let's talk a little bit about today's lovely and wonderful stories. Um, we've got some interesting ones here today. Uh, I want to start off with this one here as soon as this will clip in. Let's see. Okay, I have no idea what I'm doing here, right? This is Javad usually runs this thing, so here I am doing whatever. Um, we'll figure it out, folks. You know, be patient. Um, but the first story I want to talk about was this one, because this, this kind of killed me, right? Elasticsearch server, no password, no encryption, leaks, whoops, a whole bunch of records. See, I'm totally, uh, yeah, Javad's going to be like, see how good I am? Um, but this one kind of, I don't know, it kind of killed me. Um, they're saying that, that this StoreHub server had unencrypted data. Um, they... They got 1.7 billion records of about a million people. It just 
it drives me crazy that we still see issues like this these days, James. Yeah, no, I, you know, we've been having conversations, we've been talking with people and, you know, every week there's some new data breach, some new data leak. And here, most likely somebody was wanting to test some product feature or some new aspect of it and wasn't worried about, oh, it doesn't worry about putting passcodes. No one's going to know it's up there. And, you know, lo and behold, these elastic searches are quite powerful enough to be able to find a lot of these. I mean, we, you and I both commented several times regarding these type of searches and security researchers finding them and they're just getting put up there without any type of encryption, without any type credentials, identity access controls, uh, most likely because the developers probably think that, hey, I'm, you know, no one's going to find it. Secure, <laughs> security by... Uh, obscurity? Obscurity. That's it. Mm -hmm. um, I was going to say obfuscation. And I'm like, no, that's not the right word. That's something different altogether. Uh, but yeah, and so they, and I think that also comes from a lack of training, a lack of understanding. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, you know what? And Okay, I'm going to blame the cloud here. Um, I'm going to blame the cloud, but not blaming the cloud. Because, I mean, so ultimately, if you think back to, like, when we got started, back, back in the days, um, when there was no cloud, kids, there was no cloud. Uh, if we screwed up our, our permissions, um, pretty much only the people on the inside of our network, most of the time, could reach that device. You know, it was, it was a very limited thing. You had web servers, you had the... The, the databases behind that that would get queried, but there was no real way to query it directly, all that kind of good stuff. Now, we have the cloud, we put these things up there, and unfortunately, over and over again, like you said, we see permissions left off. And where that wouldn't necessarily be as bad internally, although it's still very bad, don't get me wrong, the fact that it's accessible by everyone and their dog with a quick search these days makes it so that when they do go wrong it seems to be big like this i mean 1.7 billion different records for a million people and included some uh partial uh credit card information it was, it was this was a point of sale service type, type of thing and uh, it just it it blows my mind it's it's amazon s3 buckets and like elastic search servers that we see all the time that somebody just oops on setting up now how do you recommend organizations deal with that or try to prevent this? You know, I'm going to take a step back at the beginning, what you said about blaming the cloud. And I, you can think you were involved in security and IT way back when, when everybody started putting firewalls in and we put a firewall in and people go, woohoo, we're secure. We're protected. We're, we've got a firewall. Did you configure it? Did we what? You know, mm -hmm. and we get the cloud. And people are going, hey, we're in the cloud. It's Microsoft. It's Amazon. They're secure. So we're secure. Yeah. Um, that causation correlation doesn't quite work there. But if you if you're going to have those kind, if you're going to have nice things, you've got to be able to properly configure them. And I think that's what what's missing here is these organizations, you know, whether it's the IT, the InfoSec, you know, you've got the developers, the businesses are looking to spin it up, get it up into the cloud and don't really secure it well enough. They think they've got it secure. They think they're protected because of being up with Amazon or, or Microsoft or Google or whoever providing the cloud service. And if there's not the right configuration on there, then you're just going to be exposed. Um, and just like plugging in a firewall with no rules on it, it's just open to the world and everybody can come on in. But yeah, you got a firewall. So the organizations, there needs to be, especially with cloud, 
certainly needs to be for the developers, any of the DevOps, you know, having those kind of um, having that training, having that awareness with regards, if you can upload something to the cloud and set it up, then there has to be an assessment that goes along with it. You need to be able to turn around and follow it. Once you're uploaded, we have to do an assessment within 24 hours to make sure that it's been secured, protected and whatever else. Yeah, I kind of feel like this is a, a place where your processes and procedures need to be very locked down as to what happens whenever anything happens, whether it's a deployment, whether it's a change made to one of these databases or something like that. When you're cloud-based, you really, really need to make sure you have processes in place, maybe even two-person integrity to go back and look at it, or like you said, to have an assessment against it. It just kind of makes sense these days. Mm -hmm. So moving on, uh, another very interesting story and one that I think you'll enjoy-ish. Um, new research reveals over-reliance on endpoint protection could be putting organizations at higher risk of exposure to ransomware, and I'm going to throw in, and everything else. Now, <laughs> I don't think this is a huge surprise from us. And, and you know, we both worked for No before, but that doesn't mean that that's all we talk about here is, is the human element. But but very largely, we see that, you know, people, I don't know, they, they, they kind of don't tackle the end user part of things here, right? But, but in this case, you know, they're really talking about how, how much people put, um, put their, their trust in EDR. And in my opinion, it's failed me more times than it's worked. <laughs> I mean, honestly, let's, let's be honest. Um, I've run lots of different EDR stuff in different places. And, you know, every once in a while, it's like the Hail Mary where it actually catches something. But far too much stuff gets passed to EDR. What do you think? Yeah. You know, with EDR, you know, you work in a corporate environment coming out of the coming out of the energy space. You know, one of the things I, I wasn't able to do it years and years ago, but one of the things I would have loved to have had was to have whitelisted. Uh, the systems and only allow the necessary applications to run. But the problem is nowadays with uh, organizations and folks running all kinds of software and everything else, it's it's not an easy thing to do. And when you've got, you know, you're you're, you're putting a lot. I mean, what was the statistic we saw? It's like 20, 25 percent of the cyber budget goes towards endpoint protection, 50 percent to networking and then web applications and identity management is about 15%. And then whatever's left over goes towards the human training uh, uh, for your users. But yeah, when you put, I feel that EDR is a, you know, it's part of the layers. It's part of the things that you need within your arsenal of things to have within your organization. But being able to also know how which systems you've got in your organization. You know, what are your endpoints? What are the different yeah. devices that are sitting on your network and always be aware of what those systems are and being able to call on that at any particular point in time. Again, easier said than done, but that's kind of, I know every CISO would probably love to be able to have that is, is hit a button and go, yep, this is what's all on the network. This is what just got disconnected. This is what just got connected. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a slippery slope, but essentially if having the EDR is part of that along with, your monitoring along with your other processes and your human element that goes into it. Now, I think you need to have EDR. There's no doubt about it, right? And there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, even if it doesn't work that well, quite frankly, if you get in a situation and you end up having to go and do like a cyber insurance claim, or you have to go before folks and show that you did your due diligence, 
and you're like, well, I didn't have EDR because, well, I didn't think it's important. Although everyone else on the planet has it, I didn't, that's going to like just not stand up anywhere. Right. And I thought this was interesting that this was done by Gardner uh, peer reviews and things in, involved were, were involved here, but 96% said EDR is their most important thing. And that just, I have a real hard time wrapping my head around that. So for anyone listening out there, I would love to hear in the comments, wherever you are, what do you think? Is is EDR really that like important to you? Do you really think that's the most important thing against ransomware? Because I have a hard time with that, right? I have a real tough time. It's, it's almost like it's almost like the statement that MFA will stop ninety nine percent of the attacks that are out. <laughs> Roger Roger Grimes just twitched a little bit. Just <laughs> just hearing those bits go out on the internet, he just twitched a little. Yeah, no, um, that's true. That's true. I mean, you know, there is no silver bullet. We do have to do a bunch of things, but um, yeah, I was just really surprised. Yeah. Yeah. I was really surprised to see something come out um, this big through Gigamon and through, you know, groups like that, that, that showed this. So I'm, I'm, I'm honestly curious how many people think I may do a poll on Twitter in a little bit um, about this. Cause I, I just, it blows my mind. It really does. Right. So last but not least, um, I wanted to leave some time for this story because I think this is a really important one. Um, and I really, you know, I, I hate seeing this, but it is kind of where we are today. Okay, 45% of cybersecurity pros considering quitting the industry due to stress. And it actually, it, it leans on the threat from ransomware being the key one here, okay? Um, and always being on call or available. Now, I can tell you my experience, uh, you know, been doing this for a while like you have. And in that time, the being on call part, um, the, the always having to be worried about that kind of stuff really does take its toll on people. And I think a lot of people, I have to wonder when, the, when they did this, if they were newer pros or if they're people that have been around for a while. Right. But a lot of people get drawn into the cybersecurity side by um, recruiters, by colleges saying you get a degree in cybersecurity and it, it's an instant, you know, six figure salary and all of this kind of great, cool, wonderful stuff. But they rarely tell you what it's really like to be involved in this and, and what it takes from you um, in order to make sure that this works. I don't know about you, been on call for most of my life. You know, I'm 28 years old. Look at the gray hair I have, um, <clears throat> you know, but uh, what do you think? Did you feel the same way? Did it kind of stress you out? And did you ever consider leaving the industry? I don't think I ever got to the point where I wanted to leave the industry. You know, what's shocking about this is just wanting to leave the industry, not change jobs, not go try something else different in cybersecurity or go to another organization, but leave the industry altogether. You know, the only other area that I can see where there's a mass exodus of People leaving one particular type of industry is either in healthcare or in education, um, yeah. where they're just like, nope, I'm done, I'm fed up. And, you know, and where you have, you know, and there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of finger pointing you can do with this. And that's not something we want to do. But, you know, are they, are the practitioners stressed out? Are they are they stressed out because they don't have the support? Are they stressed out because they're getting blamed for the certain, you know, the ransomware hits? And why didn't you, you know, the CISO is going, why didn't you spot it? Or the CEO saying, why didn't you spot it? You know, it's like, well, you know, I always think of the line from Armageddon where um, there's like a million billion asteroids out in space and uh, our budget only allows us to uh, watch, you know, like 
a minuscule amount of space. Yeah. Uh, and the same thing here is, you know, we see time and time again when organizations get hit with ransomware, if they spent the money they spend recovering on prevention, they would have spent like 10% of the money of that, you know? So, but you know, you know what, I, I've heard that argument before. And, and my problem with that is, especially in the, the small business side of things, the recovery yeah. part, they have to mortgage their homes. They have to put everything they have in Hawk to be able to pay for that. And, and to say that, you know, that doing that just to try to prevent it when honestly you could spend all that money and never really be impacted by it. That's sure. a pretty big risk. You know, there's a lot of yeah. looking at it. It's, it's risk. Mean, when we're hearing 11, every 11 seconds, there's a new organization getting hit. When we hear that, you know, 25, 30% of SMBs are getting hit um, and it's going up, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you don't need car insurance. You're more than welcome. I mean, technically, there's a law for it here in Florida, but technically, you don't need a license or insurance to get on the road and drive a car. You can drive a car and learn how to do it and drive all around. But if you get into a car accident or you get stopped, well, then, yeah, you run that risk. Right. And that's what CEOs, you know, medium businesses, small businesses, they have a much larger risk appetite than what a lot of us in security feel that they should be accepting. And so a lot of the times we're like, no, 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 you need to be start doing A, B and C. And they're like, no, nah, we'll put that off till next year. And then, you know, something like ransomware hits or they get hit with a data breach. And it's like, oh, OK, maybe we should have spent the money. And it's like, well, you know, a lot more folks are waking up to that, you know, or they're relying on yeah. cyber insurance for that. So, yeah. But the fact that there's a 45 percent of folks are saying that's it, I'm done. You know, yeah. I look at what's the culture like in that organization? What is you know, what's their management like? What is what is it that's really driving them out? Could they they just don't like working in a sock and that's fine because they're extremely stressful. So maybe look for something else that you can take your skills and, and go into, whether it's IT or another part of InfoSec, because InfoSec, when people go, hey, I want to get into cybersecurity, it's like, OK, great. What part? What is it that you want to do? And, you know, some folks are like to be doing network security and other folks like to be focusing on you know, forensics or, you know, threat, uh, vulnerability, threat hunting, threat intelligence. There's a lot of great areas to take your skills and, and look at, but I think they just get so burned out because they're not getting the support or the proper support. And uh, they say, forget it. We'll see y'all later. And well, especially in a time when we're such a shortage of security pros. Well, and that's what I was going to say is I, I wonder how much this has to do with the shortages of people in those positions. And the reason for that is, you know, when it's just you bearing the weight of the world on your shoulders, when when you're Atlas and these sorts of things, as opposed to having a team where you can go, folks, I need to take a week off, right? Like, that's one of the things I love about our organization. If we're like, I need to take some time off. Everyone's like, good, that's fine. We got every, you know, we got support for this. We got support from leadership. We have other people on the team that can pick up the, the slack if we need to. And we all understand it. We're good about that. Um, that makes it a lot easier to back away take that deep breath and go but when you're in the kind of positions that a lot of these people are in especially in the small medium size or you know where my heart is a lot of times is the uh, the city state municipalities right you know that yeah um, these small towns that that have like one security person and one it person or maybe not even one real security person they can't take a week off and go right. on vacation right they're always on call when you're when you're gone i've been in that boat and it it plainly sucks 
So I, I wonder how much that has to do with this. And I would assume that it has quite a bit to do with the fact that people are getting burned out. There's no off switch. And I don't know about you. I carried a pager for a long time. So yes, I'm showing my age here. Um, but also cell phones. You know, we were always waiting for that call to come in. When my phone would ring, if I'm across the room, I'm scurrying to get to it because I'm thinking, well, something's going on. I mean, that's kind of how I'm wired. Some people aren't. But right. that was me. I'm like, oh, God, what, what happened? What went wrong every time the phone rings? And it turns out it's just, you know, a wrong number or something. But that wears on people after a while. We've got to get better in the industry. And, and there is a push for this about taking care of our mental health, right. about being OK with taking time away. And we've got to make sure leadership understands that, again, there's no silver bullet. There's no way to stop this completely. We're doing everything we can with what we have. Right. But that doesn't mean that there may not be problems. It used to be just, you know, you take a role as a CISO, you know, your job is to be fired. Right. <laughs> You're going to be there 18 months. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, you know, but but at some point in time, you just kind of go, OK, that's it. And you can accept it and move on. Um, but when it comes to the the practitioners that are down there slogging at it every day, putting their hearts in this, you know, it, it's frustrating to see that this many people are are that upset. So, I mean. I would say for anybody that's watching this, that's feeling that way, reach out to us, reach out to friends, um, make sure you look in the mirror and take care of yourself too. Cause a lot of people don't do that. Right. We let it go. Yep. Unfortunately. Well, that was awful. Lot light on the reply. I mean, you just, <laughs> how often do you just agree with me, James? I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, you want to, you want to go with it, but, um, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, well, if, if you need somebody to reach out to, call Javad. Reach out to Javad. His DMs are open on Twitter. You can always reach out to him. Tell him Eric Absolutely. and James sent you. You know, we'll be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At J, what is it? J4VV4D yeah. on Twitter. Yeah. So, so James, I know I see up in the bottom or in the top corner there, it says dad jokes told here. So I'm going to put you on a spot right now. Tell us a dad joke. You know, I'm done with being a people pleaser, if that's okay with you. Yeah. Well, my wife says I have two faults. I don't listen, and I can't remember what the other one is. And uh, I think, I, I what was it I told my wife? Speaking of my wife, I love her very much, but she, um, I told her she needs to embrace her faults more often, and she gave me a big hug. <laughs> nice, nice. Now, you do a weekly one, right? I do. I on, I have a YouTube channel uh, where I drop a pretty well almost every week. I'll drop a new fun little video of me telling a dad joke using props and images and, uh, you know, other fun stuff. So this week uh, it was uh, dealt with Superman. So uh, right. and, and real what's really cool is in the background, there's a print, a piece of artwork, a Superman print that a friend of mine that, who's an artist here in town. Uh, I got a copy of, he had done a special edition for when the Superman was the 40th anniversary, the, the classic, the original, in my opinion, Christopher Reeve Superman. And that was hanging up there. So, uh, give props to him, Mr. John Pinto for, uh, for that awesome piece of artwork. So nice. yeah, check out, you can find me, you look, do a, go onto YouTube, put my name in and dad joke, and you'll see my channel. There's right now, I think there's like 12 out there. So plus, nice. plus, uh, last week I was at RSA with uh, Roger Grimes and we tried to do our take on the Jarek show. Uh, we called it the McGrimes report. So we mm -hmm. have a couple of videos. Those are out there too. Uh, we had a lot well, of fun the, doing that. 
that's fitting considering this show started at RSA um, back in 2020, right before the great pandemic hit. We started with our daily recrap that Javad and I did from the hotel room. And so you carried on that tradition now that it was live again. And, and to all of those that made it to RSA, I am so sorry you got COVID because it seems like about 90% of you have come back and tested positive. I tested negative. Here's my negative. Take your stick at me, okay, James? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, okay. I know you have another thing coming up here pretty soon with James Bazaar. Uh, yeah. Out on uh, LinkedIn, we can see it, and uh, we're going to be live on that. There's some trivia there, and if I'm not mistaken, there's some prizes they're going to give away. So, uh, you know, meet up with him after this if you're watching live. Thank you for him holding on this long. Otherwise, James, thanks for being on here, and... Have a great week, everyone. Take care. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Oh, there's that too. Happy Father's Day. Take care. See y'all later.